Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. Today, I'm joined by Harry Goldberg of the NBA NPH 2020 program. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sean. So Harry, you have such a wealth of experience behind you. Can you kind of give us a start of uh, how you started everything? Sure. I grew up in Pittsburgh. I'm actually a twin, which is a, another kind of surprising thing that people get wow. excited by. Okay. So then I have to immediately follow this by We Are Fraternal. Uh-huh. He lives in D.C. and works in politics. Okay. And so kind of going back to that path is... I went to school at Emory University in Atlanta, focused on biology. Nice. And after that, went into management consulting at Deloitte. And I've made my way to Haas in the, as you noted, the dual degree MBA MPH program. Mm -hmm. But also prior to Haas, I did a early stage health tech venture capital internship. Got it. I'm on my second year. So last summer, I worked at Verily Life Sciences, which is uh, Alphabet's life science other bet, as they call it, akin to Waymo or Google X or Calico. Makes sense. So were you in healthcare at Deloitte? Yeah. So by design, I was really uh, interested in focus in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, healthcare has been a part of my life since the beginning. I was a 10-week premature twin, lived my life in the NICU. Uh, later in life, I had a, a physical accident, put mm. me in the intensive care unit. My right. brother's been in the intensive care unit. Um, I've had lots of experiences as a patient or as a family member of a patient. So healthcare has been a big part of my life. Mm. Combine that professionally with my father being in the healthcare industry for over 30 years. So from Deloitte to Verily, right? What made you come to Haas? Yeah. So I very much wanted to be with a school that can signal experience in healthcare. Again, I'm I'm just kind of healthcare through and through. And as Mm -hmm. you look across the top programs in the country, Haas really, especially the dual degree program, stands out because of A, the dual degree program, and B, the fact that we are physically located in Silicon Valley. Mm. You know, my big interest upon applying to business schools and and leaving Deloitte was going into the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, That's kind of was my initial interest in doing pre-MBA internship in venture capital um, and why I still want to work here. Furthermore, uh, my fiance works in the blockchain space. So what better place and what better school uh, to work at in this space? Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, MBA MPH program? Sure. Yeah, it is a small program that for the most part, students get in by first being interested in MBA mm-hmm. and then signifying interest in this extra academic and extracurricular load. Um, you have to position yourself as strongly interested in healthcare. And what you get out of that by being a student is you take two different master's degrees that are two years each, eight semesters total, and they turn that into five semesters of work. So you do one full school year, mm-hmm. summer off, a second full school year, another summer off internship opportunity, and then a fall semester. Do you take the MPH classes at the same time as MBA classes or the last five? Okay. It's all kind of concurrent, intersparse between. I have a MPH class on Monday. I have MBA classes on Tuesday. And then uh, today's Wednesday, I have, I'm going to an MPH class and then I'm going to finish my day with an MBA class. Interesting. You know, knowing about the the two-year program uh, for the MBA, this is actually a very interesting format because it allows you to take three fall semesters of MBA classes, which is actually a, 
a huge benefit mm -hmm. because I, I was just talking to another student yesterday who unfortunately won't be able to take the, the venture capital class that we're in mm -hmm. uh, because she's she doesn't have another fall semester to go through. Is the application process different in the sense that do you need a healthcare or medical you know field background to apply? No, and I'm actually really happy you asked that question. So there are a number of students every year who don't have like the traditional healthcare experience. I mean, disproportionately, the people in this program were working in global health, helping, you know, the Clinton Health Initiative mm -hmm. in other countries, or they're working many management consultants, a lot of Deloitte people and Accenture people and so on and so forth, people who worked at providers or health insurance companies. Right. But there always are a few people who said, I had this really important experience in my life that's related to healthcare. Mm. And I really want to use the learning and experience that I will have through the MBA mm. and apply that to the healthcare space. But I don't have this background and healthcare can seem a little bit separated from yeah. other industries. And so getting this extra degree, both in letters and in actual learning can help right. me move in that space. And so there's a number of students who do that every year. That's that's amazing. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. With your time at Haas, you've been very involved with school. Uh, you are an Insight Fellow. You are a Haas Venture Fellow. Um, <laughs> Harry is just the, the Fellow of Fellows. <laughs> Can you tell us about these experiences that you've had the opportunity to go through? Yeah, so coming to Haas, and this was kind of similar to like my high school days and even my college days, I, I spent a lot of time just kind of getting involved with the different clubs and activities and groups and whatever I kind of found interesting. So at Haas, I was fortunate to be accepted into both Inside Fellows and Haas Venture Fellows. The former is a nationwide organization across top business schools and law schools mm. where they bring in students, again, who are MBAs and, law and JD students, um, as well as some other degrees to help advise or consult startups or even sometimes big tech companies on what they need to give you a little bit more of a taste of that operator experience. Because now that I'm living in the Bay Area and spent time as a consultant, I really wanted to get closer to that startup world. Interesting. And so that's Insight. HVF, on the other hand, is Haas Venture Fellows. Part of the organization is to get experience working in venture. And mm -hmm. so to build on you know my past venture experience, as uh, you have the opportunity to do basically projects with venture capital firms or that disproportionately are run by alumni of UC Berkeley or Haas. Mm. Another thing I worked on, I was pretty busy my first year, is the Berkeley AI Summit. In its second year of existence, we were able to hold this full day event of the top Berkeley professors related to artificial intelligence. Wow. Um, so those kind of three major categories, plus beer club, wine club, food club, <laughs> all, you know, probably dog club or something like that, that I was meaningfully involved with. Interesting. So with the first two, um, focusing on Insight and, and Haas Venture Fellows, can you share with prospective students that may be listening what the uh, job opportunities or opportunities that may come out of being part of these organizations? Yeah, sure. So the both Insight Fellows and Haas Venture Fellows are geared towards people interested in the startup ecosystem. And there's, of course, many different sides of the startup ecosystem, whether that be as a founder or as an early stage employee or mid-stage employee yeah. or possibly an investor in venture or possibly growth investments. Right. And so there are a number of alumni who have gotten roles in these spaces. 
For example, one of the Insight Fellow leads is working at Airbnb, Mm. while the other, we actually saw him last night, Mike Devlin, is working at Touchdown Ventures, which is a kind of corporate venture capital incubator or creator for various companies. So there's a number of interesting jobs that, as we understand, uh, students disproportionately will get into based on those interests. That's amazing. So, I mean, it it really opens up new career paths uh, the way I see it. Yeah. Which is very different from, you know, the traditional MBA career paths of management consulting or investment banking or particularly at Haas, uh, you know, in the Bay Area, product management as well. Mm -hmm. That's great. So can you tell us about what you plan on doing after school? Yeah. Like what are your interests moving forward? Yeah, it changes by the day. So as far as like the the industry goes or like the problem I'm interested in solving mm-hmm. is related to giving healthcare clinicians superpowers. Mm. And there's a few key words there. Clinician. I don't necessarily mean physician. Mm. In some situations, a clinician will be a nurse practitioner, right. a registered nurse, a midwife, a doula, things like that. And then the second part of that is superpower. And that, of course, using the buzzword, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Hmm. And after doing venture, I was very introspective of what types of technology do I think will drive the future? Right. And of course, given that I'm a healthcare person, which ones do I think I'm most aligned with and see value in? And machine learning, artificial intelligence specifically is the one that called out to me. Mm-hmm. And I've worked to develop a significant amount of business as well as coding skills in that space. So I'd like to work at a mid to large to big tech company focused on those types of problems. Mm. Now the role, that's the thing that's kind of, I laughed earlier about changing. The way I've always imagined it, it would be something related to commercial development, business development, sales, uh, corporate strategy, corporate development. But as of recently, now that I've joined another club on campus, which is actually primarily for undergrads called Machine Learning at Berkeley, mm. I found that I actually appear to be more comfortable with the technical nature of the, these machine learning models than I had really understood, right. um, or at least had, had given appreciation for it before. And so therefore, I think there's a, a reasonable run and opportunity of working in product management or program management for a company that's trying to understand how to build models make them viable in the healthcare ecosystem and approved rec- in a regulatory fashion. And that makes sense because of your background, your experiences. I think it would serve well to be the bridge, right? Sometimes engineers develop in isolation without understanding what they're developing for. And yeah. I think the world definitely needs people like you to, to bridge that gap between consumers and developers. But, you know, a burning question I have, because you've brought up the fact that your dad, you know, your family w- was, in the, uh, was involved with EHR, I'm curious to hear about your thoughts on how you reconcile AI ML, which is very dependent on data, mm-hmm. right? With these dinosaur EHR systems that, from what I understand, I'm, my wife's a hospitalist, and so she works in these systems. How do you envision new technologies connecting with different hospital EHRs? Yeah, so the the way I think the usage and therefore adoption of machine learning in healthcare delivery. And that's kind of exactly what you're talking about with in the space that your wife works in is that I see almost like 
three concentric circles, three degrees of mm. separation from the patient. In circle one, I see there's this interaction where, for example, Dr. Sean is sitting with patient Harry and we're talking back and forth. And maybe there's a computer screen, maybe there's a Amazon Alexa or Google, a home assistant, you know, tracking the notes and giving information. Mm -hmm. Maybe in that interaction, machine learning will be able to help you, Dr. Sean, and help me, patient Harry, come to a better outcome than had this superpower not been there. Mm -hmm. And then degree two is I'm leaving the doctor's office mm -hmm. and I'm going home and Dr. Sean, you are thinking about me or writing about me or researching about my needs or right. referring me to someone else, there is another ripe opportunity for better ability to make predictions and therefore decisions. Mm. And then degree three is all the other people who are not necessarily physicians or even clinicians doing things to make sure Harry the patient has a good experience. Mm. Those could be triage nurses. Those could be other uh, nurse call lines for health insurance companies. Those could be front-end chatbots that when you try to figure out what health system I want to use, I type this information in and it can direct me in the right place. And so going from the inside out on the experience, I think those are the kind of different settings, set in settings where uh, machine learning will be useful in the healthcare delivery space. However, as A, culture catches up with usage of machine learning in healthcare, mm. B, regulation catches up, mm -hmm. and then C, related to performance of these models getting better. And then lastly, D, the financial models, the things that make these companies viable right. need to get better. So it'll move from the outside in. And we can already see that with companies like Babylon Health that are helping to triage patients in the National Health Service of the UK, helping to say, well, do you really need to go to an urgent care or do you need to go to a specialist or do you need to go to your primary care physician or do you just need to do a telemedicine appointment? Right. That's very interesting. This idea of outside in. Absolutely. Because the way I was even thinking about the challenges of adopting these technologies was from an inside-out perspective, getting hospitals to sign on and or getting them to change their systems, right? Yeah. Their, their incumbent systems, which uh, not only are there business resistance and business moats, um, there's just the resistance from physicians or clinicians to adopt or relearn software. Naturally. But if you come from an outside-in, then not only a much more iterative cycle to learn about how clinicians will use the software and how it will help patients ultimately to then have the data to back up to encourage big hospitals to, to take this on. That's really, really interesting. Okay. You know, this is your last year. I think students might want to hear about what classes you found most interesting. Yeah. So classes that I have liked the most, one was entrepreneurship, but two other classes that I really enjoyed that actually were not Haas classes. One was a class in the School of Information uh, with Zach Pardos called Data Mining Analytics. Mm. And it's basically an introductory course on all of the pedagogical machine learning algorithms, how they work, how they were figured out, a little bit of the linear algebra and the pseudocode, right. but then also building them out in Python. So I actually went 
And so this is how the advice relates to Haas students is there's actually an organization on campus called D-Lab. And you can find them dlab.berkeley.edu. And they're like just down the hill and they provide multiple times a day, every day, free data science courses. Mm, Wow. A Python bootcamp, a Tableau bootcamp, R. And so what was fascinating is the conversation that I had with people in healthcare and AI from January until May while I was taking this class completely evolved. Just the intuition that I had related to this stuff was completely different. It, right. it was in the same way of someone who's you know never looked at a 10K before taking finance and having this like enlightenment moment learning more about how the inner workings of these things work. So that's my second class. And the third class is a public health course with Ziad Obermeyer, which is the public health school just recently recruited him in last year. And every week I'm actually going to that class right after this. We read peer-reviewed journal articles or journal commentary articles on different types of healthcare use cases for AI. Mm -hmm. So of course I'm going to love it. But we talk about different layers. We talk about the ethics of it. We talk about, is this use case really relevant for machine learning or something even more simple? Mm. We talk about the fundamental metrics that you would use to decide if these algorithms make sense. And we actually start to build and code ourselves. We actually have to, you know, open up Jupyter Notebooks and code in Python, which is, again, I really appreciate to get so many different points of view into healthcare delivery and AI. So that those three classes uh, were phenomenal. Also, uh, VC class with Terry, is also really interesting. Terry and Sean. Terry and Sean. Those mm-hmm. those guys are legends, and um, <laughs> we have fascinating guest speakers from yeah. some of the top top funds in the world. The world. World. <laughs> world is the right word. <laughs> That's great. Any other parting advice for uh, incoming students? Yeah. So I'd, I'd say there's kind of two different rants that I typically tell. So I'm I'm also a a peer advisor for healthcare. And so students, of course, can reach out to anyone for a career-related advice. It's just Haas creates this more formalized program for people with certain domain focuses. And I focus on healthcare. And I actually just came from advising first year, and I'm actually on my way to go advise another first year. And things that I tell people are are twofold. One is academics are important. Mm-hmm. This is UC Berkeley and Haas are academic institutions. Right. With that being said, there are many other things that you can spend your time doing and should spend your time doing that are also important. Mm -hmm. However, for the first time in your life, you're entering the education system where the metric that is measured on you, the metric that you know what levers to pull to juice up, is no longer the absolute number one priority, and that is GPA. Mm -hmm. But what's such a mess with your mind is you read all the cases and study for your quizzes and your exams and all that kind of stuff. And you want to go to section and that kind of stuff because everyone gets so comfortable because your whole life in an education institution, quote unquote, is related to juice up your grade. Right. And now for the first time, that's not the case. And it is, I believe, feeling it for myself and noticing other people, absolutely anxiety producing. And it's hard to break yourself from that incentive structure and say, academics absolutely are important. Let me be very clear. Academics are important, Mm -hmm. but maybe not as important as your undergrad. Correct. Maybe going into San Francisco or maybe even schlepping over to South Bay is also important use of your time. Right. 
And having that trade-off, I think, is a really important thing to heads up with students. Mm -hmm. The second piece of advice that I, I want to share is actually something, a word of caution, but also motivation for first years. <laughs> and anyone even applying to business school. Near the end of my school visits and interviews, I started like hearing this recurring pattern where people were saying like, I'm so stressed out. I'm so busy. Yeah. I'm so overwhelmed. And I'm thinking like, everyone says B-School's great and it's a party and you're going out with friends every single night and messing around. Like, how are these people so stressed out and busy? Yeah. The big secret that they don't tell you is that B-School is overwhelming. Yeah. And absolutely there's people that want to go to B-School, and I know this is cynical, like to take a break from your job and- mm -hmm play golf every day or hang out with kids or exercise or start a business. And I totally, I totally get these are valuable reasons, but the majority of people here are here to explore new things right. professionally and personally. And I think if you are not at least somewhat too significantly overwhelmed at all times, there's such an opportunity cost that you are missing on. Correct. You, you could have been doing the job that you were doing and probably for a third of the time and a third of the money, you could have taught yourself everything you needed to learn Correct. to get that next job. Yep. But the MBA, we have a club for every interest. We mm. have a conference that you can plan for anything. We have all the affinity groups. And we live in the Bay Area and so many wonderful people to meet and build relationships with that if you're not kind of overwhelmed and kind of double booked and kind of looking at Monday saying, oh my, look how much stuff's on my calendar – I just think you're you're missing out. So I'd recommend people to, you know, back in my consulting days, not comfort with ambiguity, which mm -hmm. that's what it was. Mm -hmm. I say here it's it's comfort with being overwhelmed. And I think that is will set yourself up for the most valuable ROI, whatever you want to call it, experience with the MBA. Harry, that is such an amazing perspective, an amazing mindset to share with students. And and I, I do hope myself included, that, you know, we do embody the student always mentality, right? Go beyond ourselves. At school. I mean, it's not just lip service, but these mm -hmm. are things that I think Haas students really exhibit as with yourself. Well, thank you so much, Harry. You've provided our listeners just a wealth of information uh, <laughs> and a completely different perspective from, I think, any of our podcast guests before. So thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Haasies willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast, or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H. S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu.